Welcome to episode 55 of Controller Controllables. We've got a bonus episode for you today. I know what you're thinking when it's come up in your subscription. Monday, Controller Controllables, that doesn't happen. It's normally a Saturday and Wednesday. But once, once we got the opportunity to speak to Cameron, it's such a fascinating conversation that we had that did deal with two or three really current issues coming out of the US Open 2020. The positive COVID test of Benoit Pair and the impact that that has on the rest of the field. And also the PTPA, Novak Djokovic, Vasek Pospisil, that have, that have made a big move to start a players association. And Cameron explains a little bit more about that and also lets us know how he voted and why he voted that way. We also touch upon his match with Diego Schwartzman. And then if you are picking this up after the US Open, fear not because it's also he talks through his fascinating tennis journey to date, which has seen him go as high as 40 in the world ATP. And there's lots more to come from Cameron. So sit back, relax, wherever you are. Enjoy the show. Over to Cameron Norrie. So, so Cameron Norrie, a big welcome to Controller Controllables. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's, it's great to have you on. And a, a little introduction to those listening. I know most of you will know Cameron Norrie. Um, career high of 41. It will be higher one day, but that, that's what it is so far. And currently, so. <laughs> currently 77 in the world. Um, NCAA number one for, for a long time. And I guess, it, I've some, I feel like I'm introducing a, an English cricketer. It's like born, born in South yeah, Africa. It's true, it's true. <laughs> lived, lived in New Zealand and now, and now represents Great Britain. So, so tell us about that journey. Um, well, yeah, obviously born in South Africa, um, then moved over to New Zealand and grew up there. Both my parents are British. Uh, my dad is from Scotland, Glasgow. My mum was born in Cardiff, uh, Wales, so a bit of a mix. And then when I was um, 16, I decided I was okay at tennis or okay enough to move over to um, the UK and, and start uh, playing there and um, living in London and, and getting myself ready there. And then actually to add another place, I went to uni in the States. So um, you could add that one in there to add another country in there. But um, no, yeah, I've moved all around the place, but um, but yeah, now playing and, and living in, in London and practicing there and everything. So and and we've got to ask the sceptical questions. Why did you become British? What was the reason? Um, yeah, so when I was around sixteen or seventeen, um, when I was living in New Zealand, I was kind of chatting to my parents and chatting to uh, my coach James Greenhow at the time and. And I was thinking, I mean, we're kind of thinking that, I mean, tennis is obviously not a huge sport in New Zealand and no one really cares too much about, about tennis mostly. I mean, if you're, if you're not a rugby player, then everyone's kind of turning a little bit of a blind eye, but, um, and obviously where New Zealand is being a tennis player, it's, I mean, it's miles away from, from anywhere. So yeah, but obviously my, my parents are British, so decided to move over to Europe and, and see how I liked it over there. And, I mean, I felt good and I felt comfortable. So um, I made that transition. Obviously, 
um, especially being in Europe and, and basing out of there is you have a, a much higher percentage chance of, of making it or at least giving yourself a chance and surrounding yourself with, with the better players. And yeah, I still think today if I didn't kind of make that transition and move over when I was 16, I mean, I think it would have been very difficult for me. And yeah, was, and also just to add, just financially as well, in, in New Zealand, they, were, they weren't really... Um, backing me at all and I I didn't come um, my parents I mean I couldn't afford to, to obviously fully fund uh, a tennis career it's, it's obviously very expensive so um, for me it was it was a good move and um, and especially there's a lot of people at the LCA who helped me and and shaped my career and gave me some great guidance that I definitely wouldn't have had if I didn't didn't move over so there's there a number of reasons and Cameron, um, again, thanks very much for coming on to, to the show. It's, it's unbelievable to have you on. Um, I know you're playing tomorrow, but remember the first time watching you, and it was in Marbella, your major debut at Davis Cup. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the experience? Um, yeah, for me, it was phenomenal, obviously, to, to get that win against um, Bautista. It was uh, incredible, kind of. Being in that match and being in that moment, I kind of was completely uh, emerged in it and I was almost don't even remember any of the match. I mean, and then after that, and it was just incredible emotions and, and feelings. And um, I think that was kind of the first time where I felt like I, I belonged uh, as a tennis player and, and being one of the, the, the inside kind of the top 100 and being being a little bit respected and um, especially playing for my country and making that debut was was unreal and to be doing it away in Spain on clay where I hadn't really played uh, too much on the staff um, was sick too and especially to to play again against Ramos and have another battle and to know that I could physically do it um, could back it up as well um, was gave me a lot of confidence and I think that's really where it kick-started my kind of career I just had I think the week before was my worst my worst match in the last two years so it's it's crazy how tennis works like that is had the worst week ever and then followed by probably still today one of my my favorite weeks on on tour so um that was incredible and and having Kyle there and and being being there in Spain was it was unbelievable experience well Cam you you might not know this but you do have me to thank for that match and, and, and I've got a couple of things. I've got you to thank for my son now loving tennis. So, so Soto is 20 minutes from Marbella. So we were there, right. you know, and my kids came down. Actually, I was, I was at the academy and they watched a couple of the practice days and, you know, they were loving it. And I think my son was probably five or six at the time. And, right. and I managed to get a kind of, I had to go, basically, I had to be back at work for six. You know, I'd done most of the day. I'd watch Broads, and Broads had put in a great match. Yeah. And then I watched kind of like the first, I think you were setting 4-2 down when I left. <laughs> and, and you weren't playing well. I remember yeah. that. I left, and I was like, nah, this is... This is going to get ugly. This is, this is not going <laughs> the right way. And I said, yeah. to, and, and my wife kept my kids there. And they, so they stayed and they watched. 
and I got back and I was following the score. And when I came home from work that night, my kids were absolutely buzzing. It was like the most amazing experience they'd ever had. And I and I'd missed it, but maybe I was the bad luck charm. So <laughs> true. Well, I appreciate that you lived there, and oh, that's good to hear about your kids too. Yeah, that that, that was a big inspiration for them. What a debut for you, Cameron, as well. Like beating uh, an unbelievable player like that in the, on his home turf. Yeah, for sure. And especially, I mean, he's known for being so tough and and one of the, the mentally tougher players out there. So, um, yeah, to win that was incredible. And I mean, I can't really can't even remember the, the match too much. I felt like I was just completely, fully, like, immersed in the moment and and playing, not thinking. And, and I think it just hit me once when the last point and... Then I was like, Jesus, I just just won that. I couldn't even believe it. And and even just to come uh, back from being two sets and a breakdown, um, it, was, it was unreal and unbelievable debut. And I was, I was happy with it, obviously. And, and if we take, take that mindset, because you said you felt like you belonged at that level, but I guess if we go back a few years when you were a junior kind of coming through the ranks. Yeah. Did you believe you were going to be a player? What, what was your kind of development years like in terms of that? Yeah, I think when I was probably around 16, 17, 18, I think I always had the doubts. And um, obviously I, I did well in juniors, but I wasn't, I wasn't unreal. And in the junior Grand Slams, I wasn't, I think I won around a once. Uh, in, in one of those, so I was not really thinking. Oh, I'm gonna kind of burst out onto the um, onto the pro pro circuit and gonna fire up there quickly. And um, I just, I honestly wasn't really enjoying the tennis as much as I should have been at, at that age. Probably uh, around 17, I was thinking. I mean, I just don't think I have have the patience to to and the level at this time in my life to to quickly get up there and, and, and do that. And um, I think the decision for me to go to college just took a lot of pressure off and yeah. allowed me to just live a normal life and, and give myself a, a couple more, more years to, to mature. And then um, from that, I kind of used that to my advantage and, and hit the ground running rather than yeah. um, being, being 17 and not physically, um, physically there and, being able to do it week in, week out at the futures and it's, it's tough out there. So I was able to, to give myself another uh, three years to just be a normal person and um, have a good, have a good life at the university. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous how well you get treated there and um, can you hanging out with your friends and, and um, going to classes and doing more normal stuff and rather than being traveling and through Egypt or, yeah. and playing those futures and, and taking all that mental scarring. Obviously, it's great for your development and everything, but for me, it just gave me a couple more years to, to really progress progress through. And, I, yeah, I didn't think – I think only at my sophomore year of university, so what I've been 20, 20 or 21, where I really thought, okay, like I'm going to fully dig in and give myself a shot here rather than – when I was a couple of years before, I was like, this is going to be so tough. I mean, even even the best guys, kind of my age, like Garin and and um, 
a couple other boys were just still struggling and I was like, this is, this is so tough, you know? So yeah, it, it took me a while to, to really think that I had a shot. And what was your highest junior ranking? I got to 10, but the, the points that I won and everything were all in Asia and, um, I never did well at any of the, the tournaments in Europe where, or in um, or any of the Grand Slams. But I mean, I did get to ten. I could yeah. play in junior. That wasn't no, a, you wasn't could because I think no, but I think that's my question. I mean, I actually I don't know if you remember it, but you played Josh Ward Hibbert at Roehampton. I think it was oh, yeah. your second last year of junior. No, your first year of junior. So you kind of your seventeen year. And I remember, yeah. I remember scouting you actually in the first round, and then so I watched you play a couple of matches. So I watched you play, yeah. and, and a year later, you'd come on a long way for sure. And yeah. that in that year, you'd improved a lot. But but I think my point to the listener is, you know, we get a lot of hopefully we get a lot of juniors and parents, and you know, this is the number ten in the world junior. Okay, you say where you got your points from, but ultimately you were top ten in the world junior yet you didn't feel ready for the pro tour. What would your advice be, I guess? Because we obviously, myself and John, we hear a lot of juniors talk about, ah, oh, I'm not going to US college, I, I, I want to be a pro. What would your advice yeah. be to those guys? Yeah, I think you have to be extremely patient. I mean, um, yeah, I was, I was very raw at, at 17, 18. I was still pretty, pretty skinny, not physical at all. And I mean, it's easy to to uh, kind of rush yourself and want to make it and if you're not having maybe you have a, a couple of weeks where you're not feeling feeling great and you kind of think oh I have no chance and it's it's very easy to to jump to to jump to conclusions being um that age and and not being kind of mature enough to handle it week in week out and it's actually I mean a pretty brutal lifestyle of traveling um to futures and um at that age and not really having some support if you, if you don't have that. So I think my advice is just to be, to be patient with yourself and um, yeah, knowing that it's, it's tough and only, only a, a couple players that really push on immediately and, and, and get up there quickly. So if you, if you're looking to kind of make the decision whether to, to go pro or, or go to college, I mean, I think it's almost for me. It's a no-brainer to, to go to college. You, you buy yourself at least uh, four years. It was four years to get a degree in the states, and then you don't have any financial um, pressures if you're if you're a I mean decent player because uh, the the uni covers everything, and then you you give yourself four more years to mature and actually decide if you still want to play tennis, and and you're still getting education and and learning about other things and and kind of it's a lot of juniors can be very narrow-minded in that age and I, I wanted to make it and it's, it's it's a tough mindset because if you put all your energy and stress into to tennis then if you have, if you lose then you're going to be you're going to be unhappy that day because you lost the tennis match rather than thinking oh lost the tennis match but I still have uh, a bunch of other things I'm happy doing so um it's a pretty extreme mindset to look at it, but I mean, I think you got nothing to lose going to college, and I, I hate that kind of idea. If you're going to go play college, that you you're kind of giving tennis away. So I think nowadays it's changed a lot, and I mean, there's a lot of players that come through the the college system, and it's ultimately up to you if if um, if you want to make it really. But um, 
regardless of the program or the coach you go to. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was great, and I recommend it. It's good. It's great, great advice for um, for parents, coaches, and players, Cameron, and uh, refreshing to hear that as well because you know, the tour is very, very difficult. I know the the college scene is more uh, uh, team orientated. Um, how did you find the transition from going from playing with a team for four years to going out onto the tour, power back onto the tour on the yeah. on, a, on the pro circuit? Honestly, for me, I love the, the team aspect of it. Uh, nice change for me. But then I think for me, I was not really kind of the, the change was I, I just was so raring to go and, and I really wanted to play. And I think uh, for me, I was my game was ready and I was played so many matches at college. I I'd, I'd, um, won a lot of matches there. So I was raring to go and wanted to play. Um, so I think for me, it wasn't so much the, the team atmosphere. It was more kind of just getting used to the, the life of, of back playing um, tournaments again rather than going as a team um, where everything's organised and everything's paid for and you, you got everything done for you rather than having to, to book your flights and, and just manage, plan your own schedule and, and get used to that. And for me, I was kind of, it was a little bit tough at the beginning because I was used to, having a schedule like going to class and and having other things going on in my life rather than and then I was like suddenly um on playing I played in the states a lot uh to start and I was in like hotel rooms like just like bored because I was used to doing so many things in one day right and then I was just doing kind of one thing tennis and putting all my energy into that and and not having anything else to to balance with so that took a little bit of time, but I think the the team atmosphere was good, and I loved it. But I was it didn't wasn't too difficult with uh, um, going out there and playing for myself, and that was that was fine for me. But do you think that also, Cam? I think that, that again, there's a couple of things I'm picking up on. One, I never realised that in the juniors that that you have that mindset, even though a lot of people do have that mindset of putting a lot of pressure on themselves. Because the, the first time I spent time with you, the game was in, it was in California, playing the Challengers with Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. Lloyd Glasspool. And yeah. you just seemed so chilled. And, and I really yeah. was like, you know, and at that stage, that was the first time I thought, poor, this guy's good. Really good. And, and you were probably ranked 500 at the time. But do you think because you were in college playing tournaments it allowed you almost that kind of almost security blanket to be able to yeah. go and play the pro tournaments with a little bit more of a chilled chilled atmosphere i think yeah that was pretty that was a pretty sick part of my life i was just going to school and then going on the weekends to go play challenger qualies yeah. and qualify in a making final because you were doing that weren't you i mean you were yeah i made one final but um yeah, I was no pressure. I was just going out there and playing, and I knew that I was gonna. If I lost, I was gonna go back to, back to Fort Worth, Texas, uh, to TCU, and and go and play, go and get back to my schooling. It wasn't like, I, and I didn't even think then I was I was gonna play. I was just. I mean, I obviously wanted, knew I had a chance, but I was kind of thinking, oh, I'll play these and and get ready for the season. Like I'm, I'm feeling good and and whatever, but. Um, yeah, I didn't wasn't really worrying about too much, and I just liked competing and getting out there. and And I think a little bit it 
it was on the flip side it kind of hurt me in a, in a way when I was after I made that final and I was I think I was finished the summer like two yeah. 270 and I had to decide oh should I go pro and and should I not and I had the rest of that year to that fall to decide right, whether yeah. I was going to go pro or not and I think I and I played a couple of challenges at the end of that year and I was kind of thinking oh should I go pro should I not and I would go to a couple of these challenges thinking like like I would almost want to not want to do as well just to, to, to kind of get yeah. back into the and I was a little bit stressed on missing some of the school and yeah. and I was thinking like oh like I, I would love to just have the freedom of just going to play right now and I think that the decision of should I go back or not kind of hurt me a little bit after that. Yeah. But once I was once I was free and I was playing, I was like, okay, let's go now, let's yeah. play. I think it was a good decision to stay that year and then and then go the the following year. Because yeah, it's this. I I'm a big believer in this. The best players, I call it, they give a shit, but they don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like it, the the worst the worst player is doesn't give a shit and doesn't give a shit. So, but yeah, they can, yeah. but they can also be dangerous on some yeah, days. Yeah. And yeah. then and then the the players that we see a lot of, they give a shit, but then they give a shit, and then yeah, they're yeah. so tight that they can't like they can't yeah, go over yeah. the line. And that was what I, I guess that moment that I spent a couple of weeks with you. You were taking yeah. care of business, but you were you were you were performing like you really didn't give a shit. And and I guess to to then move as we move into playing on the pro, you you won a lot in college, so that's yeah. a nice feeling as well. Yeah, you've been forty in the world. You're currently seventy seven in the world. You know you you're having a strong solid career already, but you've won forty six matches and lost fifty four on the tour. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is the reality. Did you know that was the reality of playing on the ATP Tour? And has is, is that been hard to adjust to? Yeah, it was a little bit the start. was So when I first turned pro, I ended up winning quite a lot in the challenges. And I yeah. went up there quite quickly. So it, was, it felt normal again, like yeah. kind of playing in college. And then the next year, um, at the start, I, I struggled a lot because I was not used to kind of losing... First, I think I lost a lot of first rounds, first or second rounds, and and it was tough. Um, and I've spoken to a couple of players and making this transition from the challenges to the ATPs, that you, you lose early and and then you got the whole week to to think about and, and practice and and everything. So it was it was just not used to playing that little matches yeah. and then having the whole next week to to prepare for it rather than in challenges. I was I was go like semis and then you're already rolling into the next yeah. week so it's a different um, rhythm it's completely different di- rhythm. definitely a, a different rhythm and um yeah even and you know that it's going to be obviously no easy matches no um and so even um, looking at the, the u.s open draw this year i'm like i don't even yeah. don't even know who i'd want to play like it's going to be <laughs> tough regardless um so yeah it's definitely a different rhythm um, in terms of the ATPs, but um, it took a while to get used to. And I think the the second half of that year, I ended up coming good and, and backing myself and, and had a good uh, good end to the, I think it was 2018, um, was my first proper year on the ATP tour. So, and, um, and Cameron, just before we get into the US Open, um, that, that transition from futures challengers up to the ATP tour, where you are now, you know, top 50 in the world, being your highest ranking, but what 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 do you think is the big differences between 
you know, making that transition from top 300 into 200 into 100? What do you think are the, are, are the key attributes uh, for players making that transition? I think the, for me, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. So, I mean, you have to compete great uh, week in, week out. If you have uh, a game like mine, if you don't have an absolute rocket of a serve, um, so I think for me, competitiveness is, is key. And, and then um, I think, yeah, serve and return from, from challenges and ATPs was the, the biggest difference that I noticed. And everyone or a lot of most, the majority of the players in the ATP have a, have a good serve and they make a lot of returns on the court. And so I think the biggest difference is competitiveness and, and just being a bit more sharp on uh, serve and returns. And then always always the um the better players on the bigger points are the ones being aggressive so um and then you'd see that in, in the challenges occasionally you where guys would would just start putting balls in the court um to 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 get over the line rather than actually going out and winning it i think that's for me that was a big thing i was uh, i had that mentality oh, i'm just going to make the balls and, and the big points and um, to start off with, I was just getting getting killed in the ATPs, and then I kind of made that um, slight adjustment. And you kind of you got obviously got to take the ball um, into your hands, and and it's not always rely on the other guy to see if you if you win or lose the match. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is and uh, is being slightly more aggressive in those bigger moments and and taking um, more controlled risks. And, and Cam, on you you said there, and I picked up on the words you used. You said you have to have a good serve. You didn't say you have to have a big serve. So what does yeah. what does a good serve look like at ATP level? Yeah, for, I, actually, for me, I, I didn't really have a, a great serve coming out of college, and I think that's one of my um, biggest, um, what I've improved on the most. But, yeah, having having a good serve, I think, is not even hitting it that big. It's just, it's just really hitting the spots and, Having having a good second serve too, um, but yeah, even playing. I'm playing Schwartzman tomorrow, and I know that he's got a tricky serve, and he's what, I don't know five foot five or five foot four. I don't know how tall he is. But the reason I picked up on that point, I just I hear so many players talking about big serves in the juniors, yeah. you know, and they're just like <laughs> testosterone fueled, just launching, catapulting serves down, you know, yeah, making yeah. making sixteen percent for the serves. And the ones yeah. that they do make just literally go right in the slot. Thank you very much. And I think yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's an important point, I think, again, for coaches and for, for younger players coming up. And, and and the first time I heard this was actually Andy Roddick's old coach, Stanford, who worked yeah. with a lot of the, the US juniors. And he was like, yeah, it kills me when people say he's got big serve. Hit that ball in that target area 20 times out of 21, and then I'll tell you you've got a good serve, you know? And it was, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and then do it and make the ball move, you know? And I think, yeah. I think that's just, it's, it's an understanding just for people listening that I think there is a big difference between a good, a good serve and a big serve. So moving into playing Schwartzman, obviously took him out, Last year, I believe, in Acapulco, maybe last February. Yeah. yeah. And I've also spent a lot of time training with him out in Argentina. Or There seems to be a relationship there that I pick up on social yeah. media. How, how are you feeling going into the match tomorrow? Um, yeah, it's going to be brutal. The last two times I've played him, I think it was both matches that were close to three hours. Oh, he moves well and returns well. And 
has a great backhand and um, I think I mean it's, I think it's just going to be a battle up there and she's going to be ready for for a four hour match and best of five and I think I'm yeah just going to be looking to use my backhand to his forehand a little bit more um, than his backhand to my forehand and the, the yeah. courts are playing pretty quick out here it's yeah. been quite hot so um, yeah I think there's there's not nothing too much strategically I need to need to do but it's just been, know that I have to be ready ready for a battle and I think I should start start hydrating getting ready for, getting for that <laughs> yeah well you, well you certainly seem in a good place I uh our number one fan on the podcast is Dan Evans he's got us top of his he keeps texting me abuse about the podcast about who's coming on um but yeah. se- secretly I know he's loving it but I, I watched all of your, your matches with Dan, obviously, and during the Battle of the yeah. Brits. And it just seemed to me like you were in a really good place mentally, a really good place with your game. You know, the, I guess, yeah. you know, that's a big advantage for, for you British guys that you've had with those events. I think that was phenomenal to have Jamie step up and run those events. And that was, yeah, it's been a huge, huge advantage um for all of us and just getting those matches and getting a sense of kind of normal life during the lockdown and i think we all loved it and there's a lot of abuse from everyone kicking around (laughs) was yeah it was just good no one wanted to lose to anyone and um it was good for some of the juniors too and yeah and especially to have two or i played ever i think uh four times uh, over the the month so that was that was great just to know that um, both of us kind of have the level still and we're, we're still staying match tight for leading into this and yeah it was definitely a big advantage and especially playing with the, the automated system that they're using here and yeah it was a lot of fun and, and love that and I'm happy I got Evo a couple of times. Yeah. I tuned into those matches they looked uh, they looked epic it was, it was brilliant and it's certainly yeah. a lot different now with no audience there or no um, crowd and um, what yeah. what what's that feeling for like now for you guys with without the crowd? Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a strange vibe for me. I mean, I'm so used to to US Open being absolutely packed and noisy and and people watching, people moving. Um, yeah, for my first round qualifiers against Kukushkin, I was the last match on um, that night. And it was um, completely, it was dark. There was no one there, no other matches. And I was, it was just me and then my coach and my physio there. And then, then his, then I don't even think he had his coach there. It was just his girlfriend. It was just no one watching, like zero atmosphere. And he's like kind of tanking, kind of trying. So I'm like, this is, this is kind of, this is kind of crazy vibe and just strange, but. I mean, you kind of just have to make your own energy and and play. I mean, it's the same for everyone, but yeah, yeah it's not. It's just it's just strange and, and different for especially at the U.S. Open. You're used to being being busy, and and obviously the the big news c- coming through today, Cam, that there's been a there's been a, a positive test for COVID in 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 the bubble. Yeah. You know how does that change things? How how's that been for the players today? Hearing that, um, yeah, it's obviously very unfortunate. Uh, to hear that and yeah I feel feel awful for him Benoit and yeah this it's it's been tough um especially for the the last incident with um one of the the players fitness coaches being um tested positive and then two players getting removed because he was working with with two of them and 
Um, yeah, it's obviously brutal and it's it's almost like it's kind of out of their, their control. I mean, they, they're doing everything they can and doing everything within the, the rules and, and everything. It's just, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, it is what it is. And it's, it's just tough to yeah. to hear that. And hopefully there's, there's um, no, more, no more incidents yeah. from, from, yeah. from now. It just brings it home, I think, doesn't it? And we, we've even had a, you know, the academy, obviously, lockdown in Spain. And then all of a sudden you open the academy and the first couple of weeks, no one's anywhere near each other. And everyone's washing their hands every five minutes and everyone's got masks. And then you can see it gradually. People start to just feel a bit more comfortable. And, yeah. and, and, you've, and, and I guess the, the world that we're living in right now for tennis to continue right now, it's going to be like this for a while. And when I read that on Twitter, it was like, no, you know, just kind yeah. of, because it's not just going to be Benoit. It's gonna, there's going to be people that he was with that are, are now yeah. going to lose their chance to compete. And, you know, but it's, I guess it's the new normal, you know, fingers crossed yeah. that there's no more and you guys get to do what you love. And, and whether, you're, whether you know it or not, there's a hell of a lot of us watching you guys on our laptops and iPads, you know, and I, yeah. think, and I think that's one thing you players have to remember. I mean, I've been stuck to, to watching you. I mean, I have absolutely loved it. Loved Battle of the Brits, loved watching last week, you know, we'll be, we'll be watching, supporting you guys again. And there's going to be thousands, millions of people around the world doing that. So try and keep that in your mind that you're not just, yeah. you know, competing. The, the other big topic that I have to get your, your take on is obviously the PTPA. Um, I guess first and foremost, are you a supporter of that or not? For me, I mean, um, it'd be be great to kind of have association. I think that that'd be good, and I like the idea of that. I think for me, I just don't really know the specifics, and I don't really have enough clarity, and for me to really to, for really support it. So yeah, I think, and I think for me also that the timing's not great, especially with um, with this pandemic and. Uh, the USTA putting on this event. I mean, it's extremely brave of them and the amount of probably organization and, and um, everything that's gone into to making this possible for us players to be back even here, even having a chance at competing at, at this event is, has, been, has been a massive effort and to get us in this hotel and this kind of so-called bubble um, is, is huge and I'm just grateful to be playing again. So... For me, um, so I'm, I mean, I'm, at the moment, I'm not, I'm not supporting it. Um, I'm just happy to be playing tennis and being yeah. back out on the court, being, being playing again. So that's it, kind of my stance on it. And Cameron, what, 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 what exactly is the purpose of it? Um, so the purpose of it basically is to, to have the players have a little bit more control rather than the tournaments and um, everything else being decided without the players kind of having a say in certain scenarios. I think it's, it's an extremely uh, kind of aggressive point of view on that. So I think, I think the idea of it is, is good, but I think um, there's just a lot of issues and, and uh, things that I'm not quite sure and, and clear about. And especially some of the leadership I'm not, not 100% convinced it's um, what we need right now in the sport. And I think everyone should be pretty grateful to be playing. Yeah, very yeah. much. And not to keep pushing too much on a camera, I promise last question on it, but how much information have you players been given 
on on what it means and what are you voting on because like like you're saying you don't have the information you know one thing and, yeah. I, and i'm completely with you the timing is wrong whichever yeah. you look at it any which way i also think and and sir andy is he's he's more than tennis and the fact that and he he brings it to the forefront again you know there has been some talk about maybe atp wta coming together men and women you know let's get that conversation going it's obviously that conversation has not been had so it seems like it's going behind the back of that but what are you what are you players expected to be voting on what how much information yeah. have you been given For, oh it's actually pretty vague so that's i mean there's been a couple of, of things but it's been nothing that you'd want to there's just not enough information in general and yeah everything's pretty vague and yeah if you're not going to kind of fully support anything regardless of what it is if you don't know Absolutely. simple simple ins and outs and especially when not even all the players are here and we're having especially some of the the top players I mean Rafa and Fed aren't even here so just the fact, and the, the fact that we can't even really get in, get in a, a room or get in a place where we can have all the players there to chat and have an open conversation and everyone helping each other and kind of knowing where everyone is rather than it's just kind of, I mean, it's obviously difficult right now this, yeah. at this point with everyone being in different places and you, you can't, we can't meet at all. So yeah, it's an interesting one, but yeah, for me, I want to get out there and play, and hopefully that can't be taken away from me with that. So I think it's, yeah. I think I think you've answered it very well, and I I fully respect and I'm with you and with your standpoint on it, Cam. Um, Cam, yeah. you need to go and hydrate. You need to go and get yourself ready for Diego yeah. tomorrow. But we do have a quick fire round that we always do at the end of the podcast. All right. Your yeah. fav your favorite Grand Slam. Wimbledon. ATP Cup or Davis Cup. Uh, ATP gone. Next one's not that quick fire in terms of how I'm going to ask it because, uh, because Djokovic pissed me off the other night against Raonic. You know, I thought he really, he was the reason why I think this should be stopped. He took about seven different breaks. It was, it was clearly strategic, you know, in, in, in the different ways that he used it. Should we be allowed to have injury timeouts or not? I mean, I think you, if you have an injury, I mean, you're not going to be, the physio is not going to come out, like make your hamstring fix in, in two minutes. So like, I mean, I think maybe, maybe you're allowed to have the physio on, but with no treatment, I think would be, be fair. You're allowed to just examine it to see if you're going to, like dislocate your your leg more or, or make an injury worse. I think getting someone on without taking the um, yeah. the required time, I think would be would be good. But yeah, especially I've heard a couple times when when this completely disrupted the match and and everything. And what the physio is going to come in and and fix you in in two seconds with a bit of massage and a bit of tape. And, yeah. No, probably not. For me, uh, I would say, I'd say no. I'm against no, that. No injury timeouts unless you're about to die. That should be the rule. Yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly. That's, that's basically the rule. Do you know? That's yeah, what we yeah, have here. I like that. <laughs> uh, forehand or backhand? Backhand. What are you going to get at? Diego's forehand or his backhand? 
That is forehand. Um, <laughs> double, doubles or singles? Singles for me, but I do enjoy doubles. College or pro? Pro. Can actually earn a bit of money out there. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you're good. If you're good. If you're, if you're right, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's, what's one rule change that you would have in tennis? I think I actually liked what... Um, what Jamie did at the, the second Battle of the Brits, where no sit down with the first five games. I like that a lot, just to kind of okay. get the, the flow of the set going uh, a bit quicker. Um, I enjoy that actually, and I'm, I'm for the, the time violet, like the, the shorter time, the times, how yeah. it was before. I like that a lot, and I think it keeps the, the viewers a little bit more uh, entertained, and uh, it's a little bit quicker rather than you. you kind of sitting down at 2-1 you've just all it's a little bit uh, too slow and and people I think want to see the see the end of the sets and the high pressure moments and um, for me I like the, the fast pace of the match. I love it the people at Wimbledon won't love it when they go no. because <laughs> already already the three games kills them but that's yeah. it's, a, it's a brilliant answer Cam coming on 18 hours before your first round at the US Open is, is massive. It also shows just what a chilled out, cool guy you are. Honestly, thank you so much for coming on. The best of luck. We're going to be, we'll support you as we always do from afar. And yeah, go, go and get him tomorrow, mate. Thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate that, John, too. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Best to play tomorrow, Cameron. All right. Appreciate that. And I'll be keeping an eye on how many, uh, how many listens this gets and see if I can top Evo's. Well, Evo, Evo's currently at the top, so we, we need to push this one. We need to get ahead of him. You need to take him I'll down again. Give, I'll have to give it a listen of Evo's and see what, if this is actually interesting content or not. We'll see. Right. <laughs> if, if you feel you can do even better, let us know. We'll get you back on. All right. All right, all right. Cheers, you. Cam. Take Cheers, care, Dan, mate. Take Cheers. it easy, guys. Bye. Later. A big thank you to Cameron and good luck today in New York. Hope everyone enjoyed that podcast. As ever, please keep liking, sharing, rating, reviewing. It's much appreciated. And anybody wants to reach out to us on any subject, any topic, any suggestions for future guests, you can find myself on all Soto Tennis social media and John on all max tennis social media as well yeah we're always open to have tennis discussion and as i say a big thank you from us both i'm dan kiernan my co-host john mcgann we are control the controllables <laughs>